would you like to pray and know that prayer works? An article in Newsweek magazine entitled Talking to God claimed that 78% of Americans pray at least once a week. 57% pray daily or more often. 91% of women and 85% of men pray at some time. But does prayer work? And how do we know? Have you ever felt that God didn't answer your prayer? You pray and your prayers kind of bounce around and ricochet off the walls and ceilings and you say, I never, it never got anywhere. Are you praying for yourself or are you praying for other people? Intercessory prayer is defined as to plead or make a request for someone else. Is it important to pray? And can we really make a difference if we pray? Well, Augustine thought so. He said, without God, we cannot, and without us, God will not. God just waits for us to ask. Then he changes us. Then he changes circumstances. He changes people. He even changes history by prayer. God's answers to prayer include yes. I love it when he says yes. It also includes no. It also includes, wait, wait. Does prayer work? Yes and no. There are some prayers that God does not answer or some prayers that don't work. And there are some prayers that do work. And if I needed God's help, and I usually need his help on a weekly basis or daily basis, I would wanna know what prayer works, wouldn't you? Anybody? Okay, I just wanted to see if you're waking, where you're awake. Several weeks ago, we looked at a passage in Luke 11 that talked about prayer, and included in that passage were guidelines for prayer that included boldness and persistence. Jesus had talked about prayer, and he said, ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, knock and keep knocking. Now today, we're going to look at the next section of this chapter, Luke 18, and see what Jesus teaches us about prayer that works. So today we're gonna to look at prayer that works. We're looking at Luke 18. Luke 18, it's on page 851 in the Bible in the rack. You can look at it on the screen above or on a laptop or anything that you have electronically as well. Luke 18, starting with verse nine. I'll try not to fall into the water here. <laughs> If I trip and do that, we'll have an exciting service, won't we? Okay. <laughs> to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is a parable or a story that illustrates a truth. It was traditionally called the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, or the Republican and the, I mean the publican and the sinner. 
Sorry, that was not a Freudian slip. Sorry. I, I, <laughs> this is kind of in my notes, but not really. Okay, here we go. Well, I'm going to refer to two major characters in our story. We're going to talk about the religious man and the tax man. The religious man and the tax man. We're going to start with the context. Roman numeral one talks about the context. This was Jesus' target. Who was Jesus talking to in this parable? And how does it apply to me? Or what difference does it make? This is the so what. Well, first, Jesus told this parable to letter A, those who trusted in themselves. Those who trusted in themselves. He was speaking to the confident, the self-sufficient. Those who don't need anything. They really don't need God, or at least they don't think they need God. They're self-sufficient. And I know a lot of people that on a personal level, level are just like this. They, they run their own lives. Everything's fine. They have good jobs, enough money. They work hard. They're, they're a nice person that everybody likes and gets along with. And there's no needs. They have no needs. They're just independent. There are churches that are like this, too. You know, we can program and we organize and we raise money if needed or borrow. We start ministries and we're busy. We have a great level of activity and everything's going well and we forget that we need God. The mission of most churches is becoming pay the bills. And we can have church whether God shows up or not. We're just really good at just doing church. We'll pray for the needs out there and over in the mission field, but yeah, we're, we're pretty good over here. We don't seem to need God. Or as a nation, a country, our money reads, in God we trust. Well, that's a nice, quaint, outdated phrase, isn't it? We fought the war of independence. We're a nation that prides itself in self-sufficiency. Until one day we wake up and find our courts, schools, and nation have been taken over by radical militant activists who want to eliminate the God-created, scientifically verifiable difference between the sexes. Whoa, maybe we need God. Yes, it's us Jesus is talking to. Those who trust in themselves. Second, Jesus is speaking to those who thought they were righteous. They thought they were righteous. The self-righteous, the, the message says it in a different way. It says, pleased with themselves over their moral performance. Pleased with themselves over their moral performance. Now, most people in America today, if you ask them, believe that human beings are basically good. And if we're left to our own devices, we can create our own utopia. Right. How have we done so thus far? Naive, but it's widespread. Events around the world paint a quite different picture. But even in the Christian community, we like to view ourselves as righteous. And, and in Jesus Christ, if we believe in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven, we are righteous in God's eyes. But it misses the point. Jesus is speaking to religious people, the church leaders of his day. Personally, how, how good do you think I am? Are we pleased with our moral performance? Thirdly, Jesus is speaking to those who viewed others with contempt. Let her see, viewed other, those who viewed others with contempt. Those who looked down on other people, everybody else. Now, we don't go out and look for people to put down. We're, we're too sophisticated for that. We're, we're too politically correct. But there is a subtle and insidious problem that flows out of self-sufficiency and self-righteousness. And that's a tendency when we have self-sufficiency of self-righteousness, the tendency is to look down on other people. There's something called ethnocentricity. 
ethnocentricity, and it's a real problem in America. We believe that, that the world revolves around America. We are the only superpower. It's our worldview, our American way, our lifestyle, our values. And God has blessed America in a unique way because she was founded on Christian principles. And if you, if you doubt that, please do some research. I've got some research to send you to. But there are other cultures in the world besides America. But with the arrogance of self-righteousness and contempt, it's doubtful if that's our attitude that God will answer our prayers. Because prayer power is released by humility and recognition of need. Let me repeat that. Prayer power is released by humility and recognition of need. Lloyd Ogilvy writes, the problem is not our prayers, but the dominant focus of our total life. So that's the context. Now, let's look at the contrast. Here's the contrast. contrast. In this setting, two guys decide to pray. Both were Jews, both wanted to pray, and both addressed God. But the similarity ends right there. Let's start with the religious man, the religious man. Beginning with his, his posture. Body language can tell us a lot about a person's attitude. And this guy's posture is he stood. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying standing up. Okay, we can pray standing up. We can sit, we can kneel, we can lay down, we can walk. We can pray driving as long as you don't close your eyes. All, all of that you can do while you're praying. Standing was a common Jewish posture for prayer. But the word suggests an attitude, okay? Attitude. Now, when I first graduated from college, I went and taught school, and I, I taught students, and, and I could tell their attitude by how they stood. And sometimes I would ask my choir, I taught music, to stand, choir members stand, and, and I, I could tell you what their attitude was. There was the reluctant slouch, like, come on. There was a rebellious stance, and there was the eager lean. I want to learn. Now the word, the word here for stand suggests standing with an attitude. He was standing ostentatiously. He was standing to be seen. So he was there so people could see him pray. I'm praying. This man wanted to look religious. He wanted to look good. He wanted people to notice. So his posture was standing in order to be seen. That was his posture. What was his prayer? What was his prayer? First of all, he prayed about himself. This man was not praying to himself inaudibly or silent, like a student would pray silently before you take a test, okay? We've all done that. But this was something else. This guy wasn't talking to God. He was talking to himself. He was reciting his personal virtues. Now, when we pray, are we talking to God or just talking to ourselves? Who are we talking to? Secondly, this prayer was comparative, comparative. He says, this, is, this kills me, I thank you I'm not like other men, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or like this tax man over here. Now today's version would be, God, I thank you that I'm not like the pimps and prostitutes and exotic dancers and drug dealers, alcoholics and criminals, or like my neighbor who never comes to church. It's comparative. We draw comparisons. The problem is we're comparing ourselves to the wrong standard. We talked about this last week. The fact that God's standard is perfection. If you want to reach heaven and reach, you want to reach God and be accepted by God, no problem. Just be perfect. 
Just be perfect, okay? And it, it, I'm sorry, it's not gonna happen. God's standards of perfection, total righteousness, and we all fail at that. We compare ourselves to the wrong standard. We can always find somebody that's less perfect than we are or worse than we are. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3 says, there is none righteous, no, not one. The question is, do we want our prayers to work? Do we want our prayers to work? Let us see, his prayer was based on externals, externals. What I don't do and what I do, what he had done, not what he was. Now, we don't become what we do, we do because of what we are. So we go, what was that? What did he say? Okay, we don't become what we do, we do because of what we are. Let me, let me put it another way, this may be a little bit easier to understand. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's who we are. So we're not sinners because we're si- we sin. We sin because we're sinners. One is causative, one is effect. God doesn't base his relationship with us on externals. But sometimes we do that and we try to do that with him. Now, externals in the bottom line, externals are unimportant. What happens when a marriage relationship is based on externals, that, that youth and beauty? What happens? Gravity happens. Gravity happens. We just, I'm sorry, we just all age. Now, some of you are young and you don't know that yet, but you'll find out. It's, gravity happens. We all age. It just doesn't last. Sooner or later, we get wrinkles and things like that. I, I have to watch when I watch news commentators. News commentators have this, this way they do news, and they, if, they, if they break into a big smile or laugh, then the wrinkles show. And, and, and to, to do that, they, they have what's called the, the broadcast pucker. You know, you do this broadcast fucker, so they just talk for the mouth. You don't want to show any emotion above here because then the wrinkles will show and they'll know that you're over 27. <laughs> we all have wrinkles. Some of us gain weight. Our hair turns gray or makes an exit. Sooner or later, that happens to all of us. We don't base our closest relationships on externals. But why do we try to do that with God? We try to base this on our goodness before God, what we do or don't do. It's not, it's on what we are or who we are. So fourthly, his prayer was prideful. Now, pride twists our capacity for self-scrutiny, inward looking. It's possible to delude ourselves into thinking we're right with God because of our goodness or accomplishments. Lloyd Ogilvie says, the purpose of prayer is to see things as they really are. Purpose of prayer is to see things as they really are ourselves as we really are, and God as he has revealed himself to be, the true person inside. Pride distorts everything. And five, along with that, his prayer lacked humility. Lacked humility. He was thankful to God for his own virtues, but not God's mercies towards him. And you know, this kind of prayer was quite common back then. The Pharisees had written these prayers, and they they used them all the time. They would thank God that Thank God I'm, I, I'm a Jew, not a Gentile. A Pharisee, not a commoner. I'm a man and not a woman. And he, this guy just came up just short of congratulating God on how great he was. Plummer says he glances at God, but contemplates himself. He glances at God, but contemplates himself. 
Authentic humility asks three questions. What do I have that I was not given? Who am I really? And what are the next steps for me to grow? This man did not need God to help him accomplish his limited view of righteousness. His opening word was to God, but never again. He himself is never out of the picture. In true prayer, we are out of the picture, and God is the center of our prayers. He who needs no one humbled himself in creating us so that he might love and be loved. Humility is seeing things exactly as they are. So that's the kind of prayer God won't answer. He just won't answer. Attitude of self-righteousness, self-sufficiency, and pride. That's the religious man. Now, let's look at the tax man. Let's look at the tax man. Verse 13, it says, The tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. What was his posture? It says he stood at a distance. The message says he slumped in the shadows. This man had a sense of unworthiness and humility. He didn't feel God owes me or I've earned it. He had a sense of who God was and who he was. This tax man was probably an unlikely candidate for doing religious exercise stuff. Normally, tax collectors were both dishonest and betrayed the trust of their, honor, their countrymen. So that's kind of where he was coming from. And it says he stood at a distance. Then he bowed his, he his head. He would not even look up to heaven as he prayed. Now, there's nothing wrong with lifting up our head, our eyes open or closed in prayer. I, I do that sometimes. Or I'm just praying and I just look up to heaven. But this showed his attitude that he was humble and he bowed his head in prayer. Should we be afraid in approaching God? Should we be afraid? No, but we should be respectful. Respectful, there's a balance. Hebrews 4.16, I love this verse, says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, okay? This is coming to God with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. The confidence is based on his mercy and his grace and our need. When we have need, it's his grace and his mercy. We can come with confidence to God. And the confidence is on God, not on ourselves. We're to come into God's presence with confidence, God's grace, God's love, his acceptance, his desire to help, and his power to help. But don't ever forget who God is. Don't ever forget who God is and who we are. Then letter C, he expressed sorrow and regret. It says he beat his breast. That's a sign of sorrow. And by this physical posture and physical actions, we can see the man's true heart. We can see what's going on inside. Humility, sorrow, and need. Repentant for his sins, unreserved confession. That was his posture as he came before God. And what was his prayer? His prayer was, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Be merciful, be propitiated. Or that, that means there's a, there's, a, there's a problem between God and you, and the way to deal with it is remove the cause of the enmity. The cause of the enmity or the schism between us and God is our sin. 
forgive our sin, confess our sin, and then he removes it. And so the cause of that enmity is removed. That's what propitiated means, and it's on his mercy. This man recognizes what he deserves. He asked for mercy because that's all he dared ask for. And I believe that this man was truly in the presence of God because when we're truly in the presence of God, we're in absolute awe at how great God is and how unworthy we are to receive anything from him. The Pharisee thought of others as sinners. The tax man thinks of himself alone as a sinner. He didn't think of anybody else at all. So what happened? What does Jesus say happened? The conclusion, Roman numeral three. Verse 14, I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So what's the bottom line? His prayer worked. God answered his prayer. The tax man is justified. The religious man is not. Now, I want to look at this word justified for a minute. So those of you that are into math and science, you probably don't like this. This is grammar and English stuff, okay? The word justified is a perfect passive participle, okay? It's justified means, in the passive sense, means that it was done on them, okay? If it's in the passive sense, that means I didn't do it, somebody else. That means God justified him. In other words, when we look at being justified before God, it's not something we did. God justifies us. It's a passive participle. And the perfect tense means that it was done in the past with present results. It's ongoing results. So at some point in time, this man was justified by God's action on him. And at that point in history, after that, the results were justification. He was right before God and righteous before God reckoned as a righteous person, acquitted of his sin. This is God's action, not ours. We don't earn it. We can't earn it. We can only accept it or reject it. It's a gift. It's a gift. So there are two options. You can exalt yourself and be humbled, or you can humble yourself and be exalted. The tax man did not earn forgiveness by his prayer of humility either. He didn't earn it because of that. That'd be the same error as the Pharisee. Instead, it was the confession of sin. And upon that confession of sin, God forgave. The comparison is everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That is the principle behind prayer that works. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us a real life example, a story that is relevant to us. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would speak to our hearts about how you call us to pray and that we need you. And I pray, Lord Jesus, today that we would not depend on our efforts, but Father, that we would realize that this is a work of you that you've given us that we're justified by your grace. And I pray, God, that you would help us to come to you with confidence, humbly acknowledging our need. And we thank you in Jesus' name.
We're going to move to a time of communion and the ushers are coming forward. We ask that when you receive the elements, if you just hang on to them till we all have received and then we'll partake together. And as we pass the elements out, uh, we're going to sing together as well. Thank you for the cross. This, this goes to the women, right? Thank you for the cross. Yeah, two, okay. Oh, one of each, okay. You're going upstairs. You're doing the running, okay.
For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, in the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's stand and worship, shall we?